For October 12th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 641. Joel Embiid's Mountain Dew process, otherwise known as science. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're uh, sitting around talking about the things we love or the things we hate. Honestly, it's the sitting around together that makes the uh, that makes the experience worthwhile and makes it memorable. I'm Matt Rather, and that is Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. How are you? Uh, you know, Matt, I could be better. <laughs> Couldn't we all at this moment in in um, in history, Pete? Uh, this is one of our storied two handers. Mm, that's that's what I hear. That's what you're telling me. I wonder. That I is- wonder what the story is. I mean, it's not for <laughs> us to tell the story, but when when the bards uh, when the bards sing of us, um, you know, I wonder what they. I wonder what they will say. Well, I I know that they will say uh, on one evening in October of 2020, with so many major problems racking the world, so many uh, problems, some of which rise to the level of existential threats to humanity, two men sat down on a podcast (laughs) and they talked about things that annoy them that don't matter. (laughs) <laughs> and and let this let this be our legacy let the word go forth from this time in this place as uh as a different fake american president said um that uh we will not um you know that we will not succumb to the temptation to talk about things that that matters no this is quibble cast 2020. And, uh, and, uh, I'm going to go first. I have the first quibble. Pete, I have a quibble with you, with you, Pete. Quibble away. Hey, uh, now, a couple episodes ago, I don't know if you recall, you were there, but, uh, you, uh, told the story of, um, you, t- you told me the bedtime story of uh, the NBA finals, of the, yeah, the, the, playoffs. the playoffs. Yeah, not the, the finals, bubble, the whole, the bubble. <laughs> you know, you told me the story of a bubble. Uh, there once was a man in a bubble. Um, his ankle was giving him trouble. <laughs> uh, he, he scored quite a lot because uh, he took every shot and never... The oh god, I don't know. Can you finish it? And, re- and reduced his poor Tarsus to rubble. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so I started watching the championship series between the Lakers, between my you know beloved LA Lakers and the Heat. And I feel like every Angelino is in some way a Lakers fan because in in a way that other teams are for other cities, the the Lakers are really like LA's team, you know, and um. And, uh, yeah, so well, you're, that- you're lucky. You're very lucky, Matt. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> turns, because turns out. this season, this series has featured 
one of the best games in the history of the NBA Finals. It is not the game currently going on while we are podcasting. <laughs> no, that's, we tore ourselves away from game six. Uh, though it was amazing. Like I was staring with slack jawed <laughs> befuddlement at the, um, <laughs> at the, the 30 point lead that oh, the Lakers God. and like either it's going to go out as a blowout or else the most miraculous comeback in the history of uh, in the history of the NBA of the NBA playoffs. No, yeah. Uh, you're referring, I guess, to game five, which was this like, you know, nail biter of a uh, of an ending. I don't know. You probably can describe it better than I can, but I was sort of riveted all the way through, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. The, t- the word slugfest comes to mind. <laughs> well, no, uh, Pete, they, they move very quickly and not slowly like slugs. So, well, um, that, I mean, maybe in game five, but by game six, they were kind of slugging. <laughs> no, okay. So, I mean, so I will, before I interrupt, I will say, is your quibble that you got interested and you cared because, uh, or is it merely because this one game is a huge blowout and is not as exciting as some of no, the I, I got interesting and I cared because, well, no. So it's, it's more that you led me to, I, I guess the only game I, the, I watched games five and six and, right. uh, you led me to do that. And uh, in the course of watching game five, how, how could you not, uh, how could you not care? Like, how could you not watch that happening and like, just get so into it? And here's the quibble, Pete. I try to reduce the set of things that can mess with my equanimity to as small a set as possible. You know, and uh, you, sir, have added one thing. You, sir, have added professional basketball (laughs) (laughs) to that uh, to that list Um, because I was legitimately upset (laughs) at the end of the thing, or at least at least very disappointed in the throwing up your hands in the oh sort of sort of way. I felt uh, I believe they call it the agony of defeat. Pete, uh, I, f- I felt that agony, and as and distinct I- from the agony of the feet, which everybody has been feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I uh, did not feel that because this weekend, this weekend, I actually biked in a in a charity race, in a virtual charity race for a um, cause I support every year, and. Uh, so I, uh, I did a like, uh, medium length ride. I did like a 22 mile ride for this, uh, this charity race. And one of the great things about really loving to bicycle, uh, as opposed to like run or, or play basketball or something like that, it's not hard on your feet. It's not really at all. My, uh, my, uh, quads and my IT bands are really talking to me today. But, um, yeah, no, not, not so hard on my feet. But yeah, Pete, I tried to like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Mr. I don't watch network news you know like i i consume my i consume information about the world which i think it's important to have in certain you know certain uh though that's another discussion i guess uh but i could you know when i feel like i i want to engage with information about the world i consume it in as non-sensational a way as possible so as not to uh so as not to mess with my equanimity any more than than necessary right than the you know kind of the the uh, screaming uh, on cable news channels would would tend to do. So uh, I try. I try to keep it a very small list of things that can uh, 
sort of spin spin my mood around and you you sir you sir have added to that to that list and for that for that i quibble for that pete i quibble fair enough fair enough i suppose it is worthwhile to update folks a little bit on what the narrative of the finals turned out to be uh assuming of course that we do not see the greatest comeback in the history of the nba uh, happening in the second half of the game that's currently going on uh which i think is uh, fair to say would be would be a long shot and and, and regardless we won't see it because we'll be talking to you here on the podcast but uh but the the narrative turned out to be that uh, despite the fact that the Lakers were the team that had the two can't lose players, the two players who were essential and indispensable, it was the Heat who would suffer a series of injuries early in the series that would really debilitate and drain them. Right, and and so this seemed to turn what was already a large uh, deficit into an insurmountable deficit, and then entered you know Jimmy Buckets, Jimmy Butler, who I talked about in our podcast, who in two amazing games stepped up and gave two of the greatest performances uh, that I would I would say especially a, any player who is not considered one of the greatest players of all time has given in a high-profile uh, playoff game. Uh, it's because, of course, LeBron James is also there giving these great performances, King James and such. And he left everything on the field, right? everything on the court, rather, the field, for those two games in a way that it was just astounding and amazing, right? Uh, exhausted, hobbling from the press conference afterwards, you know, all that it's, it was amazing. Uh, and it turns out that, that the body only has so much to give. So he did it once. Right. And then, and then they lost the next game, but then he did it again and he could barely walk afterwards. And now it's just, there's just nothing left. There's just, there's just nothing left. And the team is just getting just clobbered. Uh, and they're, they're going home on their shield, uh, but it is a slow, a slow walk. So that that seems to be the sort of uh, agony and ecstasy that is being experienced currently out there uh, this evening. So that, if that's what you had in the office pool, uh, then uh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my vote is always agony. My vote is always black swan because uh, when it happens, I'll look like a genius. Exactly, exactly. So that's what that's what took place. Mm. So your your quibble is that you have a finite budget of things to care about. Yes. And I depleted your budget by getting you invested in what turned out to be a very engaging series of basketball games. Yes. And, and yeah, yeah, Pete, the, for, and for that entertainment, for the, for the enjoyment and entertainment that I, uh, suffered <laughs> <laughs> at your, uh, at your hand, you know, for that, sir, I quibble. And also Pete, such a hashtag basic sport. It's not like, you know, soccer, which I can be into quasi ironically, you know, uh, no, it's basketball, you know, which, uh, which I have to, which I have to like wholeheartedly and that, uh, that too, um, you know, that too, Pete, uh, just, I, for, for that, I quibble as well. Right. I think the LA football club is actually playing during the basketball game that you were just watching. I do love the LA football club, man. That's a, what a great, what a great team. It helps that they had like really good. It helps that they, uh, win a lot. I mean, <laughs> I guess, right. Because, it, but it's what you say, Pete, like, because not, I, I feel like I'm with them now, no matter what happens, but it's because I have these memories. I, I now have this experience, you know, of winning a lot. And so I can kind of 
I have banked this experience and, uh, you know, in losing seasons or in, you know, in, in times, you know, to come when not everything goes our way, I still have this, I have this reservoir to kind of draw on, um, you know, uh, like a bank. And actually they, they call the stadium, the bank, it's the bank of California (laughs) stadium that they, uh, that they play in. So, uh, yeah. So there you go. My, my beloved LAFC. Um, there you go, Pete, there you go. There you go. I guess I will jump into another quibble. I will add a quibble to the quibble list on Quibblecast 2020. And I think thematically it's somewhat related. This I, I like this this idea you mentioned uh, the enjoyment and entertainment that I suffered right is is uh, one of the phrase that you said that I like oh it's such a um, burden I know so as I mentioned on another podcast on our video game podcast I've been playing Paper Mario the Origami King which is a Nintendo Switch game which is a combo action adventure RPG involving a very fun visual style. Um, that is that is done by um, oh gosh impressive people who have done impressive things. I, I looked this up before and I'm like oh the person who did the art style for Paper Mario and the Origami King did some other really impressive thing. It isn't totally entirely slipped my mind. Partly because my my disappointment with my current relationship with Paper Mario and the Origami King, which is a game I thoroughly enjoyed and which I beat. Right, I played through to the end. And I did a lot of the side stuff. It's a game that has a lot of side quests and collectibles, lots of collectibles. You know, you go around and and uh, one of the one of the first events of the game is that all of the toads, all the little mushroom retainers, the mushroom dudes who had been guarding the princess have been dispersed to the four winds. And many of them have been folded up into little origami animals and objects that you have to unfold and to their uh, toad like state. And of course, you know, there's many, many, many of them. And if you get all of them, then the game promises you some sort of implied transcendence. Uh, so the spot that I am with this game is that I beat it and then I decided to go through the whole game. And now, why don't I go to 100 percent? You know, why not? Let me I haven't done that with a game in a really long time. Let's give it a shot. So I found all the toads. I went through every single level and I found all the toads and I went through every single level and I found all the question blocks and all the hidden blocks. And I went through every single level and I filled in all of the little uh, not quite bottomless pits. The whole thing has a sort of paper aesthetic. And so you literally find holes in the world that you that you patch up with confetti. It's quite festive. It's a nice little healing message about the power of joy, I suppose. And, and so you have to do all these. There's this list of conditions. You have to find all of the collectible treasures, which for the most part I've found. You also have to find all of you have to get all of the trophies, which you win for achieving excellence of one manner or another in a variety of side challenges that show up over the course of the game, such as fishing, throwing ninja stars, uh, playing against the bosses you've already beaten in a simulator that times you, right? There's all these sorts of things. And it's it's fun and such. But then, you know, eventually you get to some of these. Right now, so there is a, there is a trophy to win in Paper Mario and the Origami King, which at this point I beat a long time ago, it feels like, wherein you have to go when you're when you're traveling through the story of this game. And I guess there's a small spoiler here, but it's not a big spoiler. You you eventually uh, kind of finish 
the main structure of the story, which is like, oh, no, the bad guy has put up a series of obstacles to stop you from getting to the castle and fighting him. Uh, you've beaten all of the obstacles. Once you once you beat all the obstacles, you pass through into this sort of next area, which you didn't know existed, which is magnificent and funny and fun. Kind of the warm up to the sort of final push. Right. Um, and in this place, you have to complete a series of tests. And then when you finish those sort of mini tests, you get to progress onward to this sort of final uh, rejuvenative uh, experience that's supposed to sort of cleanse you and your compatriots before you go forth and conquer into your great final final push. And be right before you do it as a way of kind of confounding you, breaking the tension, keeping the game light, the game makes you play a game show. Uh, which is hosted by little Shy Guys, the little villains from Super Mario Brothers 2. Uh, and, and it's called Shy Guys Finish Last. And it involves a series of, like, matching puzzles and counting puzzles. Like, you have to look at a bunch of enemies that jump into a butt pool and then jump out of the pool. And you have to remember how many were in the pool. And you have to guess the shell game a whole bunch of times. And in order to win the trophy, um, there's the way the game works when you play it, is you there's three levels and there's four games so each game can be played on easy medium and hard and you sort of spin a randomizer that selects which of the games you're going to play and you have to get 100 points right you get 30 for a hard one or i forget what it is if it's 50 or 30 or 10 or whatever it doesn't matter at this point but you have to beat a certain number of the games in order to progress in the story you had to win the last trophy you have to go all 12 games in a row in Shy Guys Finish Last, the joke game show that you have to play before you progress into the final cleansing, before you fight the, the bosses and such. Um, and and they are really stupid. <laughs> like, like, like if you guess one shell game wrong, you've like wasted 20 minutes of your life. Yes. And, and it is just like it is so like at this point, it's just like, why am I doing this? Right. What is what is this all for? And it's not even like that. It, honestly, I will even back off of that. I am past the point where I encounter an experience like this and fail to understand it. I know what's happening. I know how I got myself in this situation. <laughs> I wanted to play the video game through to conclusion there's even a part where they sort of make, they make fun of you the player there's a particular toad that is uh found in a in a, the back of a room behind a pillar that you can't see that is in a building behind a, a vendor's kiosk and the only way to find it is to use various tracking devices that you accumulate over the course of the game to kind of triangulate and locate its position. And when you find it, he says, thank you, Mario, for being a completionist. <laughs> right? so, like, the, game is, the game is making fun of you for attempting to get 100% on everything, which, by the way, if you do, you get a special ending, uh, which, great. I'd love to see the special ending, right? Awesome. But I'm not going to get to see it because I have to finish all freaking 12 rounds of Shy Guys Finish Last, which is just really tedious. So... I am exasperated and sad and disappointed and exhausted with this game, um, which I in guess would of, carry me through. And so, yeah, so your quibble is that, like, to a certain extent, they've they've broken a contract with you, right? Like, they promised you entertainment and fun, or or even maybe not even entertainment and fun. They promised you one s sort of game, and then showed up with another sort of game that is, as you say, tedious. Uh, and that like TDM was not necessarily what you thought was on the menu for this, for this particular experience. I, I, I would elaborate on that a bit and say that the specific tedium of shy guys finish last 
is out of step with the pre-existing tedium that I have welcomed over the course of continuing to play this game after I've beaten it. It's sort of like there's not a feeling of progression to it. Mm. It doesn't feel like each successive thing that you do to get you closer to 100% is more and more obscure or more and more challenging. Mm -hmm. They all are pre-wrote. Some of them are a little bit tough. I think there's one – actually, there's one more I have to do after Shy Guys finished last, which involves perfectly navigating a river rapids section, which I hear is actually very hard because the boat is very unwieldy and difficult to control. That I'm sort of more on board with, right, because it's sort of a test of your video game skills. But I would suggest that this game in particular has nothing to do with the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a totally different series of game mechanics. It's a big jump in tedium and difficulty from what you've done previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in that sense, it doesn't feel prepared for, it doesn't feel culminated to. And it's almost like, I almost wish they were making fun of me more for trying it. Right. Because it, at this point it is so transparent. It, it's, it's not so much that I expected this to be fun and they've made it boring. It's that I know going into this, that I'm wasting my time. And I, and the game is, not quite ingratiating me in this <laughs> like like it's like the game it's not making fun of it it's not encouraging it the the amount the sheer number of tasks you have to accomplish to get to 100 percent it feel like a big discovery and that you could just do on the toilet uh is is like it's pretty baffling right and to get to this point now where it's like okay you've done you've gone and you found all the toads that had all their heads sticked in cracks on the wall and whatnot you know here you know, play this cell phone game for four days, right? It's just like, it's it's just, it makes it feel insulting and sad, I guess, is what it boils down to. Um, and so I would say, if you're playing Paper Mario and the Origami King, it's great. When you win, stop playing. <laughs> Don't play through the completion. It is, I, I've, I have looked it up, and there have been other reviewers who, who have also complained about this aspect of the game, that there is just too much to do to get to 100 percent right to the point where it's it sort of stops even feeling fun for being not fun so Um, it's uh it's you're saying that there's a special ending but not a happy one (laughs) not for you anyway maybe (laughs) for the characters in the game (laughs) uh fair enough all right good that's my quibble good that's the worst thing currently happening in the whole world yeah no 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 it it isn't i mean if you think that's bad pete Get a load of this. Okay. <laughs> um, now, uh, we're all having an experience. I, you know, I know, Pete, you've done a lot of remote work and uh, have, have worked with teams that are, that are distributed geographically, including distributed in time zones. And it, I think it actually is probably a net positive for the world, um, you know, at least for our world, that this is becoming a more normal uh kind of, you know, average expectable, like employment, um, sort of situation. Uh, cause I think it has, you know, having done it a lot, uh, I think it has a lot of benefits. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, you gain and, and also, uh, for those of us who do it, having the normies, um, 
sort of understand remote work from a firsthand perspective and and for there to be kind of cultural practices that develop uh, around it, uh, I think it could be healthy for a lot of a lot of workplaces like, uh, yeah. you know, communication protocols or a certain amount of like respect for when you not just kind of lobbing a message over a wall, but like thinking about kind of making a message easy to understand. Case in point, if you've like working in in large scale software engineering efforts, you get this a lot because very often you're working people with people in different time zones or people overseas. So I had, you know, at, um, one, uh, one company where I was the head of, of software engineering, I had, uh, a developer in Tallinn, Estonia, um, another, uh, in Eastern, Eastern time, um, another set in Pacific time, one in Hawaii and one in South Korea. And there was no time when all of those people could get together to like have a meeting that wasn't going to be like 11 at night or 4.30 in the morning for someone. Um, and when when you're in these situations, I mean, aside from kind of juggling the logistical things, which, you know, you have to do a couple times, but you, you get okay with it. You just, you, you build teams that are, you know, in you build sort of geographical pods, but you get into the habit of always giving a time a with a time zone and B with multiple time zones with everybody's time zone, you know? Right. So like, so we say, actually we run overthinking it on Eastern time. Um, just because the, the preponderance, actually the vast majority of, of everyone in, uh, in overthinking it is, is in Eastern time. So, you know, we record the podcast as we have for like 12 years now. Um, at two, two uh, at uh, nine fifteen uh, p.m. Eastern on uh, on Sunday nights, and then I always put in parentheses after six uh, six fifteen Pacific because there are some people in in uh, uh, there are some overthinkers on the West Coast, me and and a couple in in Seattle who join podcasts from time to time, and uh, so yeah, so so there you go, so. People get into this, and I I think there is a kind of like I don't know I, people who l- l- work in offices love their own debasement and just want to like want to prove that they can make more of a of a sniveling worm of themselves than you can. So th- there is this like there is this kind of practice of one upsmanship. Uh, you know, sometimes that happens. Well, there, there are all kinds of one-upsmanships that happen in human organizations and uh, that's why they're a problem. But the, the, um, one of them uh, has to do with when you kind of declare something like, Oh, there, there is a good kind of hygiene around scheduling meetings, communicating what time something is going to happen. You know, uh, people will try to one up you, uh, so for example, if you said, um, you know, can we meet Thursday at two and someone writes back and says, uh, yes, I am available to meet, you know, Tuesday at, uh, 2 PM Pacific time, you know, 5 PM, uh, Eastern time, right? Like that, that's, that's the sort of thing like by, by increasing the level of specificity. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, sure. 
Okay, so that this is. I thought when I was doing that, I was being nice. I apologized for the times that I came across as callous by uh, by putting the Pacific time after the Eastern time and emails back to you. Oh no, it's Uh, no, it's it's totally fine. But I probably instigated the. You know, if if you're in it, if someone responds, if someone instigates with the time zone and you respond with the time zone, that's great. Um, Okay, but I uh, learned it from watching you, Matt. I learned it from watching you. (laughs) But if someone, if someone. Uh, you know, if someone uh, starts by saying, hey, can we meet at 2? You know, and it's like, yes, I can meet at 2 p.m. Pacific. You know what I mean? You are, to a certain certain extent, you're making a meal out of the idea that you are, you know, doing it more correctly than them, right? Right. Okay. So, so here, now we arrive, that was all prolegomenon, right? Like, now, (laughs) now we arrive at the quibble. Right. Um, I, uh, I always include, time zones for professional meetings and um from time to time you get responses back from people uh that are, that's like you know uh yes i am available to meet between 1 and 3 p.m. between 1 and 3 p.m. pacific time uh on monday great I'll, uh, you know, and this has happened a lot over the, over, I've been, you know, while we've all been doing a lot of video calls. Great. Uh, let's schedule the, let's schedule the call for 1.30 p.m. PST. Can't wait to talk to you then. Right. Oh, no. PST? Now, I have been, I have been <laughs> tempted, Pete. <laughs> I have been tempted to show up at 1.30 p.m. PST, <laughs> though it is outside of the window that I, right? And because there is an escalation in specificity and that, oh. that the, the, the essence of the passive aggression in this situation is an escalation in specificity, right? right. Um, I've been tempted to show up at, at PST. Now, of course, you, uh, being a non-monster, realize what the problem is, right? Which is that we are not in PST right no. now. No, sir. We are in Pacific Daylight Time or right. PDT. PDT. Yes. Um, yes. It is uh, the, the time zones, the way time zones are set up, the ones for Daylight Savings Time it's not like your time zone changes. It's that the time zones for daylight savings time <laughs> always exist. <laughs> and you could move into them or out of them by traveling through some sort of nominal space, right? Uh, nominal space. Now, right? you say you say that, Pete, but actually, so in, in the, the, the company that, that I was talking about, the product of this, this uh, company where I ran the engineering team, the software engineers, was a piece of software that did scheduling for certain kinds of businesses. And so like if you made an appointment, you can make it online using this particular tool. And um there are pockets and I learned more about time zones and translating time zones from one place to another. We had a a business where all of a sudden their all their appointments were one hour off and the uh you know in this was business in Arizona, but the the appointments in in Phoenix weren't one hour off, you know. Um, turns out there is like a small pocket of Arizona that does not 
observe daylight savings time. So like they do actually always exist, uh, you know, and, and not just as kind of like a funny joke uh, in the, the fourth season opening two-parter of the West Wing where they cross from county to county and, and uh, you know, miss an airplane flight for, for that reason. No, it's, it, you know, it actually became, I learned more about time zones uh, really than I wanted, than I ever wanted to know. So like they, yeah, it is. I mean, they do. And that like the, you know, just in general, if you believe that words mean things, you know, <laughs> you're, you, I, I can't think how you would not be uh, offended by that. Now, as, as though to slap us in the face, European time zones actually add an S during the summer. So BST is British summertime. Uh, CEST is Central European summertime, you know, uh, so because they don't call it daylight saving time because that that is weird. Are you are you not? you're not saving daylight. Um, there, there is the same amount of daylight as there would be if you just called the hour a different thing, but, um, you know, uh, but we get, uh, we get, we go from PSD to PDT and they go from like central European time to central European summertime. They add an S whereas we drop one. So that will, that will, uh, you know, raise your, that will raise your heart rate and blood pressure. And so I guess Pete, the quibble, the essence of the quibble here is that someone would engage in a passive aggressive escalation in specificity, A, mm-hmm. and B, be wrong, you know, be actually less accurate than I had been, uh, than I had been initially. Now, if you are American and listening to this, just always say Pacific time, mountain time, central time, Eastern time, just always use that, you know, uh, unless you're in a small pocket of Arizona or something and have a, uh, have a, you know, particular, particular need to be more specific, just always use the two letter, uh, abbreviations and you will never fall prey to the, to the, the uh, either inadvertent looking like a jerk or, uh, you know, this or to be made fun of, to be mocked so mercilessly uh, in a quibble by someone like me on a podcast. That that is my quibble, Pete. So to add a little bit, I want to add a couple of points on this because daylight savings time is worth. And I do also love how, how I introduced the word quibble. And I, of course, am realizing that it does not mean uh, what I think it means, but we're going to use it anyway, <laughs> because my quibble is that quibble doesn't mean quibble. Uh, it means quibble. Um, but OK, two beefs about daylight savings time. The first, which is relevant to what you're saying, both alike, right? two beefs, both alike in dignity <laughs> is um, if you don't think it matters whether you are setting up your meeting to be in standard time or daylight time. I point you to the example of I believe it might have been 2005. Uh, it might have it might have been enacted in 2005 for implementation in 2007. Do you remember what happened, Matt? No, I it was, was uh... the stupidest thing. It was the dumbest thing ever. So wait, the dumbest so... thing ever happened in in 2005. Wow, 2020. You got some catching up to do. <laughs> the, the stakes were so low. So the candy industry in the United States lobbied Congress to change when daylight savings time ended, right? So, so and of course, more than remembering which is standard time and which is daylight time, I believe most people in the United States go by the uh, little rhyme, spring forward, fall back, right? In, in the spring, you set your clock forward, right? And in the fall, you set your clock back. 
Um, and so that means that something which had previously been uh, five o'clock now happens at four o'clock. Right. Um, and so and so forth. And so this means that that when the, when the, in the winter, when the day is really short, more of the day happens after you get out of school or work is, is the notion. Right. So the candy industry goes to the U.S. Congress and convinces them to bump up the end of daylight savings time to before Halloween. So there is an extra hour of trick or treating on Halloween, which they think is going to increase candy sales. Right. Uh, I think there was also an argument about energy prices and the idea that because this was also around the 2008 commodities crisis, that if you move daylight savings time, you can then change the hours that people are at work and they would burn less fuel. There were various practical arguments for why daylight savings time, the movement of it had to be bumped back. Right. And uh, mm. and, and or, or forward. It might have been forward. I mean, it might have even been moving it forward that they wanted. Daylight Wait, savings did time they to spring? It, did they longer. did they fall forward or did they spring back? Here's the thing. I don't remember what they did. Okay. But at the time, Microsoft didn't know what they did at all. <laughs> and all of the clocks oh, in everybody's well, that's why. Microsoft Outlook were wrong. Yeah, this so is Pete, your, this is why I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> is that if you had meetings that were set up for that time, they were going to be incorrectly set in the wrong time zone because you would actually be in standard time, but your computer thought you were in daylight savings time because Congress had moved it, but it had never gone into Outlook. And so everything was off for an hour for like a month, um, and it was really dumb and stupid. Oh, until uh, patch, until Patch Tuesday, and they didn't. Yeah. they didn't even they didn't even push out a hot fix for that. I, I mean, they might have. Wow. No fix is hot enough. For that kind of issue. No fix fix is hot enough for our hot takes. Yes. And I, by the way, the other thing is I am encountering for the first time in my life my first really serious problem that's going to be caused by daylight savings time, and I'm really not looking forward to it. And of course, I think eventually everybody encounters something that makes them think that daylight savings time is stupid and unnecessary, even if it is merely the increase in risks to your health as you get older of drastically changing the time that you go to sleep and wake up. But, uh, but in this case, I've wondered about parents, Pete, and daylight saving time. Like, uh, in these, these days, though, when when we're all just doing um you know we're all just doing kind of online work if you don't have to show up anywhere at a particular time can you just gradually adjust can you just slow roll the hour back by like adjusting bedtime or get up time by you know 5 minutes for over a period of 2 weeks or something well he's got to go to daycare oh okay there are so there are external dependencies that are yeah know, yeah done. there are, there are external dependencies but also just you know I, I suppose you could probably do that but even that is not great uh, what, what I'm what I, for those who aren't intuitively picking it up um, I have a small man who lives in my house and doesn't speak English uh, he's <laughs> He is my five-month-old son. And, uh, I mean, I don't know what his gender expression will turn out to be when he grows up, but this is how I refer to him now. Uh, and, and he doesn't understand anything I say. But, no, at any rate, um, babies thrive on structure. And, obviously, every baby is different. And we have two rules in, in our house around babies. Uh, rule number one is uh, is a baby. <laughs> As in, like, if there's every, anything that happens and it doesn't make sense or it seems like it is personally upsetting and you don't know why it's going on, uh, refer to rule number one, <laughs> baby, right? He's, he's a baby. Uh, he's going to do unpredictable, stupid things. And by stupid, I mean inconvenient to you as the parent that seemed to serve no purpose. But, of course, he he's not doing things to a purpose. He's He is coming unto life, right, uh, and living. And those are not easy things to do. 
So, uh, but then the second rule is everybody lies, uh, which is that if you ever hear anybody <laughs> else describe their situation as a parent, even if they're not trying to, what they're saying is going to be false in some way, <laughs> either because it doesn't work for your situation to the degree that you might intuit it, or because they are kind of short, short, uh, shortening it up and not giving you a full explanation for what happened. The key example is how many people say that their kid sleeps through the night when like two days out of five, the kid is up at like three in the morning. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, and so it's, so people will say that because it's such a relief that they will sleep at all. Right. And I think this is even venturing to the point of being something of a quibble, I suppose. But uh, I had another quibble in the tank and I didn't want to cash out my moment. But I will say that, like, one of the things that has really helped us is getting the kid on a schedule and getting the kid to adjust to a schedule is challenging because he cries and he's upset and he's sad. And you really have to uh, to, to sort of quote the 76ers and their and their tragic ambition. You have to trust the process, uh-huh. right, that the baby is going to be benefited by the fact that you're introducing the schedule. Uh, and sometimes it really doesn't work. And sometimes it works really well. And I think for our kids so far, it's worked pretty well. And we're really not relishing disrupting his schedule. Like if things are off by 15 minutes, that matters. He gets visibly upset, mm. right? He gets cranky. You can tell when he's getting tired. He really staying awake is a, is a great deal of effort for for something that's no bigger than a than like a, a, a maybe a medium sized keyboard, uh-huh. right? Like what is another object about the size of, a, of our baby? Like um, a, a printer. A loaf of, yeah, I was about to say like a kind of an oversized loaf of challah or something. Yes, a loaf of bread that is sustaining consciousness, right? right. (laughs) It is exhausting and it requires rest regularly. Um, But at any rate. Breaking news, breaking news. I've just received the thumbs up from Christina, which means that the Lakers have won game six. Oh, great. (laughs) Spoiler alert for basketball. (laughs) <laughs> how much did they win by like uh, 50 points i don't know i'll uh, i'll google the score while you talk all right okay 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 600 right. point no final final score 106 to 90 oh so they made it respectable okay that's good. <laughs> they uh, they they either let them back in or the the heat fought back and and kind of won the second half after a fashion um, but that's da, 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 not really- da, 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 quick, quick breaking, breaking quibble. Uh, yes. when broadcast on ABC, the heats, uh, logo, um, which is a flaming basketball going through a hoop, right? Which you would think would be a bad thing, but yes. <laughs> no, it's good. It's so, it's so, it's, it's you know, launched with such force, on fire. but yeah. when it's rendered in monochrome, it looks like an onion. Oh. It looks like that's the bulb of the onion and the the like the flame tail without the benefit of like different colors or like more rendering. If it's done in this kind of like shiny gold monochrome that the you know that the uh, the graphics package is on has been on ABC, it looks like an onion. It looks like a, just an onion sitting there on things. So I thought of like the L.A. Lakers versus the uh, versus onions. Lakers obviously named uh, because Los Angeles has so many lakes. Right, of course. It's because you eat so much butter, too, right? <laughs> Those are two things that are both equally true about Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> Love butter and, and big, fresh water bodies. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, we're two quibbles deep now. Let's, let's uh, pop the sack and get back to, get back to the, the quibble under development by you. Okay. All right. All right. So one quibble I have, and I guess this is, this is more of a, of a disappointment, and it's something that I understand, right, and, and I get, but it has been a bit of a downer anyway, and it, and I'm partly sharing this because it has it's a quibble with an upshot, which has been very uh, amusing, which I really appreciate. So as you probably know, 
Uh, I have become something of a Dungeons and Dragons enthusiast over the course of the last year. It's been something to do. Uh, it was something first that I did, uh, you know, one day out of the week. Um, after I stopped doing improv, I, I went to a bar near my house and I played Dungeons and Dragons one one day a week. And and then of course after uh, after you know quarantines and whatnot, I started playing online. The bar that I used to go to shut down. Uh, I've been playing online with with one of the guys I used to play with at the bar and a friend from high school and some other people that I've met on the internet. And uh, and I've been enjoying playing the Dungeons and Dragons. And I've also enjoyed very much watching the Dungeons and Dragons uh, Twitch show, uh, Critical Role, which is a very popular show on Twitch. Uh, it is, uh, it used to be part of geek and sundry. It has gone independent. I think at one point, if it still doesn't, it had the largest Kickstarter ever for an animated version of its Dungeons and Dragons adventures. And so when lockdown happened, right, uh, critical role is, is it's staffed by the cast are all voice actors for the most part who work out of Los Angeles. They appear in a lot of video games and cartoons and stuff, and they're all friends with each other and whatnot. And they film in Los Angeles and, uh, or they, they stream from Los Angeles. And when the lockdown started, they went on hiatus for like four months. And it was a bummer because I really liked the show and it sort of added a dose of normalcy to things. Um, of course, at the time, I hadn't entirely caught up yet. I had started watching, you know, they have hundreds of episodes that I'd started watching at some point. And I sort of was gradually catching up and gradually catching up. So there was definitely a point in my son's life where he crossed the threshold from hearing my voice more than he had heard Matt Mercer's voice. But it wasn't very close to his birth. It was maybe like a month in because I'd sit there on the couch watching hours of Critical Role holding him uh, while he was like trying to go to sleep. And so he's heard a lot of uh, he's heard a lot of Critical Role. Well, Critical Role eventually came back. When things sort of started opening up uh, with a new studio that was much bigger, socially distanced, had lots of protective measures. Everybody was really far apart from each other and had ventilation and all this other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they took all these measures for everybody's safety and they started pre-taping it so that they, if something went wrong, they could kind of have a week to recover and kind of catch back up. Uh, they've taken the last two weeks off for un- unknown reasons. And this is that's that's sort of the disappointment, right? It's a show I really like that airs on Thursday nights, uh, and it's been kind of like my show. And, uh, you know, to the extent that Guy's Grocery Games isn't my show. Um, and, and I've been letting look forward to it every week, and it's not been on for the last two weeks. And, you know, the only reason they've offered is, like, everyone's fine. You know, because first you worry, oh, is somebody sick, right? Does somebody have COVID? Uh, and they say everybody's fine. Everybody, you know, is uh, is happy and healthy. A bunch of these people have kids now. So they don't say specifically the reason. But uh, as, a, as a parent, as a new parent, I can – only speculate the many, many reasons why somebody might not be able to make their weekly Dungeons and Dragons game for two weeks. Right? Like, like it, I can I can definitely imagine them uh, up to and including one of the parents having to travel for work yeah. and and the other parent having to stay home with the kids and not getting to travel across town to stream their Dungeons and Dragons game. Right? Like uh, I can see these things happening. Right. And also the game is at a big cliffhanger. And so on one hand, everyone wants to see the other the next episode. And on the other hand. Uh, they don't want to do it without everybody, I would presume, right? It's not one of those things where somebody can just take a week off because it's this huge cliffhanger that's really important to the story. So my quibble is like, I missed the show, right? And and supposedly tomorrow, they're going to announce what's happening with the programming, which might mean, oh, it's coming back. It might mean it's coming back and it's no longer tape delayed. For all I know, it might mean it's coming back, but it's going to be fully remote, right? There's any number of special of uh, it's coming back, but somebody has to leave and is being replaced or not replaced. Someone's taking a hiatus, You know, any number of things could be true, most of which are kind of minor downers. But at the same time, I don't blame any of these people. We're all trying. We're all trying our best. And Game of Thrones took a year and a half off. You can have two weeks. Right. 
Um, especially if you don't do what Game of Thrones did when you come back. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Song of Ice and Fire took, uh, you know, 30 or 40 years off. Yeah, I mean, hey, at least he's having some time at home to, to get some work done, right? Um, I shouldn't say that. I'm a big that, – that's another quibble is people think that George R. R. Martin doesn't work, and he's published like five books since the last Game of Thrones book came out, right? But they just haven't been the book everybody wanted. And so, like, he's actually very – he's very productive. He's just not writing that one book that you really want as fast as you want. But anyway – the upshot, the sort of cheerful thing, is that a fan theory has emerged about what has happened to delay uh, Critical Role. This pretty popular show on Twitch. I was about to right? say. I was about to say, Pete. Like, I, I, my comment was going to be. I'm sure the speculation online about what is causing the delay has been, you know, measured and reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. I actually at one point suggested as a joke online that one of the cast members was pregnant, but then I immediately took it down because I was like, oh, there's so many reasons that that could be hurtful to say. And it's really kind of personal. It's sort of, it's weird when it's Twitch streamers rather than, you know, actors in a movie or a TV show that has that sort of extra proscenium yeah. <laughs> notionally, because you really kind of feel like you're talking to a real person, you know, not that you know, you know, why do I first default? It's like not that Ray Romano isn't a real person, right? But if like everybody loves Raymond while it was on and gone off the air for a couple of weeks and I've been like, oh, yeah, you know, it's all right. Ray Romano just has to run drugs to Columbia, right? Like I have no sense that the, the guy, you know, that, you know, that Kelsey Grammer in Frasier is like a person who is vulnerable to my criticisms in a personal way, right? Like he's very detached from me. It is not a two-way communication between me and Niles, right? <laughs> between like, you know, me and Sheldon, right? Like like Sheldon is living in Sheldon world and I am living in my world and ne'er the two shall meet, right? But when you're watching a show on Twitch and, and people are really engaged with their fans, you realize, oh, you know, I shouldn't say things that are like, kind of personally touchy the person will probably read this and what if something isn't happening the way that somebody wants it to i don't think people should ever be glib or casual when suggesting that people have kids and that's a whole other thing a whole other quibble um never never promise in your wedding that you're going to have children uh you don't know whether you're going to and if you <laughs> promise that in your wedding vows and then it doesn't happen you're probably going to feel terrible uh and so I, well, that's, one I mean, minor, that's a sub quibble right yeah, your, your marriage um, is a failure due to your failure to live up to your wedding vows right that's you know well, and, i mean why 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 be that unforgiving to yourself they, you know they, they don't they don't call them wedding suggestions i'm just saying here here uh quick 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 sub quibble uh i i really quibble with web wedding vows where they don't promise anything <laughs> My wedding vow is to remember that you like basketball. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you know, like, uh, uh, I, I, you know, you've made me the, the, you've made me the happiest, uh, individual on the planet. And I just hope I can spend the rest of my life making you as happy as you've made me. You have not promised any, you have not <laughs> vowed. You have failed in the first you task. Vowed, sir. <laughs> you have failed in the first task of vowing, which is right. to promise to do something. Right. right. All right. Exactly. I'm sorry, Pete. Back to you. So the fan theory that has, I hope, caught the most traction because it is the most delightful is that one of the cast members is the baby alien on the masked singer uh, because the baby alien kind of looks like him uh, and because he sort of a little bit sounds like him and because the in the sort of clues I have not encountered the masked singer at all by the way I've not have you watched the masked singer at all 
I kind of don't get it. I get, yeah, I am. I, I kind of don't get it. It's a, it's a singing competition with the twist that you don't, that the singers are famous people, but you don't know who they are because they perform in these big, you know, like amusement park character type of, uh, type of get ups, uh, gets up. They t- in you know the being the correct plural yeah. I suppose of get up uh, that like uh, and that like the the singer is unmasked I guess like when they lose or ultimately when someone wins. Right, right, right. Okay, got it. It's because there's like a weird relationship between the performer and victory. Yeah, is one of the weird things about the masked singer because you sort of want there to the, the guessers to not figure it out. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know. Um, I don't really encountered it before. That makes sense, though. It's it is strange. There is a I think there is a quibble with games that are designed wherein it is not clear whether winning or losing is the thing that you want to do. Right. Uh, this was the problem I always had with beer pong. I never really <laughs> knew whether I was supposed to want to win uh, and whether I should say practice for it, especially because I don't particularly like drinking beer. So is it the kind of thing that like, should I play beer pong if I don't like drinking? Uh. It's certainly not a well-designed game from like a rewards and objectives perspective. <laughs> I like, uh, um, I guess the answer to that is almost certainly no, you shouldn't. Why would you play beer pong if you don't like drinking? The point of it is to get drunk. Or yes, you should, because the point of it is dexterity and stick in a casual atmosphere um, like darts. So, um, so yes. So the theory is that Sam Regal, who is a, a voice of one of the Ninja Turtles and of Spider-Man at times and of a bunch of other characters, uh, at times, uh, I think the voice of Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney and an Emmy award winning director of animation, uh, is who, who was on Les Mis as the little boy as a child, right? Uh, is in Les Mis as the little boy as a child, uh, is, is the mask is the alien in, in the masked singer. Uh, because if you look at pictures of him uh, and if you listen to his voice and if you look at kind of little shimmies he does and also because there's a Ninja Turtle in the little cartoon that they do with clues. It's almost certainly not him because the video has a bunch of clues that are clearly about Philadelphia and I don't think Sam Regal has any association with Philadelphia. Um, but the idea that it is him is pure delight, right? That, that it's like – because everybody's like, why are you doing this? I need this in my life. This was the one thing I was looking forward to and the world is on fire and now I don't get to watch my show. And so, of course, there is those horrible people who are like, how dare you, right? Like how dare you not be there for me? This is so unprofessional to take two weeks in a row off, right? And, and, and then other people who are just like, oh, I'm so worried about them. One of them might be really sick. Somebody might have been hit by a bus. Like, I mean, everybody, of course, thinks more about COVID than about mass transit in terms of the thing that's that's scary right now. But it's like there's this stress, there's this anger, there's this sadness, there's this sense of betrayal and disappointment, all of which is entirely unnecessary because a two week break is not a long Right. Um, it is interesting I mean, I guess, the kind yeah. of the, the the relationship, the very personal way you like. If we ever broke our streak of weekly episodes, I'm sure people would would sort of take umbrage somehow. You know, right. like it would feel because it would feel like a personal betrayal, no matter no matter what happened. Um, much more so than a you know uh, like a TV show. You know that like there were only 20 episodes of a lot of television shows or something this year because they just stopped production in the spring um you don't take that personal in this in the same way that you don't you know you don't feel a personal connection with sheldon and like this this um 
the the particular vicissitudes of this form of media, you know, and especially if you get like very well known, very successful, and there are like a lot on the order of you know tens or hundreds of thousands or or millions, I suppose, of people who are interested in what you're doing, you know, um, and you know, and care about it, like they can be very they can be very demanding, and because they feel about it in this strange person, not strange in this, um, you know. Uh, heretofore kind of unknown uh personal way um wait no heretofore is the opposite uh this this hitherto unknown personal way right they um you know uh they get super you know people get feel super entitled to your to you doing certain things that they that they want you to do like you know i don't know write the uh write the next book in a in a fantasy series Peter, you know, a, honestly, oh yeah. I, I, the last thing any of us need to be doing right now is reading The Winds of Winter. I really because one thing I really strongly believe about this book when it comes out is that it's going to be extremely upsetting. <laughs> and like, I really maybe this is something that we should all be reading when things are a little bit better outside, if they ever get that way. So, anyway, sorry. Do you have a quibble, Matt? Do I, quibble? I do. I have, I have a quibble. This one gets into into slightly more serious. Um, Serious territory, I, I, I suppose, but uh, maybe maybe it'll be our last quibble of the uh, of the evening, unless there are you know unless there are you know quick side quibbles that that we want to make. Right. But the the um, you know uh, this is uh, so as, as background to this, you sort of. Um, you sort of talked about house rules uh, that you have, and yours are very sensible, like uh, rule one, like um, rule one, uh, he's a baby. The baby is a baby. Babies are babies. Rule two, when you're tempted to be upset about something, um, you know, see rule one. I actually, you know, I had a pretty frank talk with, uh, with my mom once about parenting. And she was like, look, you know, she was a single mom and she's like, look, parenting is so damn hard. Like, and it's so a lot of the stuff that happens, uh, as a parent is very upsetting. And like, I was going through it on, on my own. And like, uh, I, I couldn't believe I couldn't get it through my dumb head. She said, uh, to me, I'm not editorializing. She said that that like um, that, you know, you could do things, certain things without like being trying to upset me, (laughs) (laughs) right? And, you know, what sorts of things? Well, I don't you know, I don't want to tell too many tales out of school, but she did teach me to drive, you know, (laughs) and like, um, you know, and she said, she said, you know, I've learned since she became a grandmother, like I learned, um, yeah, not, not due to my doing, but she became a grandmother and like, uh, you know, observing this from a slightly more outside perspective is that like children adore you and everything they do is to try to make you happy up to like a surprisingly high age. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that like, uh, that would have been a healthier, so I, a healthier attitude to have and like that. So I, I think your, your rules are sensible and, you know, running in the crowd, uh, I run with, I uh, see very often a sort of like a yard sign or a sampler or a, like a print on the wall that has a different set of house rules. Mm. 
Um, and, and that is, I'm sure you're familiar with this. And there's actually a, like a history of this. There was a first person who wrote these words down, uh, for display and it just, it took off. It, you know, it took, took fire. Uh, and that is in this house, we believe black lives matter. Women's rights are human rights. No human is illegal. Science is real. Love is love and kindness is everything. So this catalog of very laudable statements about, you know, uh, uh, treating people, uh, with dignity, treating people in a, in a decent manner, you know, uh, giving people the rights that are, should be guaranteed by government or should be guaranteed by just sort of basic, uh, basic human, human decency. I, I add to that, not, not to trivialize the, the sort of weighty importance of those things. I, I do, uh, confess, Pete, that, uh, I add, uh, to that another sentence, which is kindness is everything. Carol Baskin killed her husband, chopped him up and fed him to the tigers. <laughs> In this house, we, be- we believe that. But, uh, <laughs> but that is not. Hey, remember Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was back from season one of quarantine. They're making a movie out of it. That's going to be out. It's right. Or a TV oh, show or something. And, and, oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Nicholas Cage is going to play Joe Exotic. It's the Wait, role. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. It's the role he was born to play. <laughs> like, and we are not ready for COVID, Nick Cage, man. <laughs> it's like, oh, you think you've been losing it? <laughs> but I, I, so I want to take a, qu- a quibble with one of these propositions, um, and that is, we believe science is real. Okay. Yeah. I I quibble with uh, the idea of believing science is real. I I think that there is actually like a sort of both an ontological and epistemological argument you you could make about whether science is real. Like, is science real in the sense that the shoe that I'm wearing is real? You know, uh, well, okay. What is science? Science is really a process, right? It is a, it's a, it's an epistemological kind of, um, you know, process with that, uh, like the Philadelphia 76ers. Right. And you gotta, and you gotta trust that. Well, and like, but the thing, the thing is the process is supposed to be so self-evident that it is not a huge leap to trust the process. And by the way, it is, you trust that, you know, um, in the developed world, right? Like you trust that you turn the, you turn the lights on, um, and that, that they'll, that they'll come on. So, right. The, the idea that like, uh, um, so it's a, it's a process. It, it is about reproducible, observable result, results, um, and a particular kind of inquiry that leads to, um, well, that leads to what? That leads to a body of knowledge. Now, I, I would argue that the body of knowledge is not. I was I was talking to our our probably closest scientist friend about this earlier today. I I think you could. There is a colorable claim that the the um, the body of knowledge is not science except metonymically. The body of knowledge is sort of observable realities about the world. Science is the kind of the process by which we uh, by which we un- uncover those things. So I think saying that like science is real. I suppose I suppose the process is real. But then again, I saw Joel and B doing a Mountain Dew commercial while I was watching, um, yeah, you know, Game Six just now. So, uh, d- you know, the, the, my feelings about the process are are um, are mixed and <laughs> best. Are, <laughs> you could say that my feelings about the process could be at code red. But uh, you know, um, is is Dew the Dew tautological, Matt? <laughs> 
The uh, uh, well, uh, do you do you do the do? And uh, if you if you have done the do, have you given the do its due? The the <laughs> like is a is a process of inquiry real in the same way that the you know the the table I am sitting at is real. I I don't know, but actually the the quibble I have is actually in the we believe science is real. The thing is. Uh, you shouldn't have to believe, right? <laughs> um, that the the this is not like a Tinkerbell type situation. You know, it should not be down to whether enough audience members clap. And and I I feel like my sort of my right thinking my you know learned and right thinking honorable colleagues on the left on the political left are actually doing a disservice uh, to the cl- cause they claim to be championing in this one particular proposition the idea that we believe science is real because by framing it as a matter of belief you reduce the body of knowledge produced by scientific inquiry. Right. What we call metonymically science, but which are a set of observable or predictable facts about the natural world. Right. You reduce that discursively to a drink to a, um, you know, to uh, something that is on the on the level of something that you may or may not believe you you make it sort of one of the you know sort of one of the optional ontologies right rather than a required ontology and uh i think that does it i you know i quibble i quibble with that and it is not really a quibble because it is not a, a sort of minor issue um i take the way it would be a quibble to say well actually it's daylight saving time and not daylight savings time right that's a quibble this is this is uh, perhaps a bit more serious that ventures toward being an argument yeah i i yeah, fair enough and and i don't know if we're going to have an argument now but but let me ask you pete do you believe science is real I will say that in the intervening time, I've looked in the dictionary again and found that my previous statement that quibble was being used incorrectly was itself incorrect, and we've been using quibble correctly the whole time. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a what, a trivial nit that you pick with something, right? <laughs> it's funny. This does relate. Have you seen the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Mac tr- uh, makes the case against evolution using arguments that are that are somewhat related to what you're talking about? I, got, but- I, I wanted to. La- I liked. I always liked It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I didn't always enjoy It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, so I, I fell off. Uh, I fell off the train um, very very early on. Oh. I- I binge watched the first five seasons while in extreme grief from the death of a very close loved one. (laughs) I really haven't watched much of it, Um, but it it did very offer me a great deal of solace in that time. I very, this is, it was so far back that when I was on, I, when I got on the bus to go toward the funeral, because it was a multi-step process at the time, because as much as you think you can get by without a car, it's actually quite difficult. Uh, and I did it for 15, 20 years. So I know, I know what I'm talking about, uh, you know, bus to bus to bus, you know, bus to train, to train, to bus, to walk, you know, two miles, all that sort of thing. I had gone to Radio Shack, which is, of course, there are still some of them that exist somewhere, which is strange. I thought they were all gone, but I think you can go to Maine and you can find them somewhere. But I'd gone to Radio Shack and I had purchased a portable DVD player, like the kind that is sort of like a laptop. Yeah, no, I remember. Lift the little screen and you could put a DVD into it and you could watch the DVD on the little screen because I didn't have a laptop at the time. 
And I watched uh, over the course of the next like four days, you know, or, or a week, maybe five solid seasons of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Great, great, great show. Great show. But definitely one that you can fall out of because it requires a certain temperament to watch. And I never I didn't think of it as one that sort of invites you to come back to it um, once you've sort of had your fill. It, I mean, it's lovely. And if it's part of your routine and you enjoy it, then then that's great. Um, but, and I did come back to it maybe once or twice, but there is an episode where Mac makes the case against evolution using, I think not necessarily your arguments, but the, but the, but using the weakness that is introduced by your, that you're pointing out as a weakness, right? The notion that, that scientific, that, that your, that the authority of scientific knowledge as it is presumed by people is characterized as something that's related to their conviction that it's true um, and, and that they themselves, you know, you, you can claim that your you know, belief in a certain statement is is true because it is based in science. But if you haven't done any work yourself to review any of the literature or the data, if, if the evidence is something that sort of exists and you haven't verified in any way and or even haven't even notionally related to the fact that it's demonstrated by evidence, then you are treating it as you would treat uh, other sorts of beliefs that don't have that kind of grounding, right, that that aren't arrived at through uh, Joel Embiid's Mountain Dew process, also known as science. Right? It's, <laughs> um, and, and that this that, so that this is a sort of that this is an interesting challenge in an era in which scientific inquiry is so highly narrow and specialized and so abstracted. So it's hard as a, as a person, right, as a sort of, you know, casual person who's just kind of going about your day to really address uh, the scope of facts about the natural world, facts and or contentions, right? Best guesses or hypotheses or supported hypotheses or laws and <laughs> such and all their various degrees about the natural world uh, from a sense of confidence that the evidence that's being used to support them is good evidence. If you haven't gone to the trouble of learning it, right, or verifying it or understanding it, it let alone, you know, uh, looking at it, right, and actually, actually, uh, uh, you know, seeing what it is uh, for what it is, and I don't think it has to be that way, right? Like, um, I agree. Well, there, I, there, think that- I mean, there's a, there's a. I actually, so in in my text exchange with our uh, with our friend, the overthinking it scientist, who got us on the the front page of Slashdot a couple times with some articles, um, the. Uh, the uh the i actually he sort of called out the uh, called out uh, a phrase i don't like a phrase i quibble with um he uh criticized the um the specialization and the you know the kind of the tendency to to discount the work uh of non-scientists right um or of, of non-professional scientists, because it actually shouldn't, the, the sort of the process and the results should speak for them, for themselves. And by, you know, I, though every profession is a conspiracy against the laity, um, like by, you know, treating professional scientists, uh, academic scientists as a kind of priesthood, uh, you, you actually invite the same kind of problems that, that we're, you know, we're talking about and kind of the, the specialization, that is, I suppose, necessary to actually do science, you know, at any kind of consequential level these days, you know, where, where the, the, um, 
you know, the types of discoveries become more and more complex and, and, you know, sort of smaller and smaller, both like microscopically smaller and, you know, more and more specifically scoped within certain kinds of scope conditions, right? Like, uh, it is, it is a regrettable consequence of that state of affairs that the, you know, the, the sort of priesthoodization of, uh, of science, um, is, is a thing that's happening. Right. But again, this is also steering us along this whole path where it introduces doubt into such ideas as, you know, the gas laws, right? And like uh, <laughs> the ideal, the ideal, the ideal gas law. You know what? If you don't believe in the idea, our, uh, <laughs> let's call it our friend, the ideal gas law. If you don't believe in uh, our friend, the ideal gas law, like uh, put a low octane fuel in a high compression engine, right? By by all means, right? Because what do they? What do they know? What are the numbers? <laughs> what are the octane ratings? <laughs> do you think? Do you think that you can excite xenon to a state? where it will accept electrons in its valence shell if you hit it with a really hot guillotine <laughs> and the nobility is is the nobility of gases subject to overthrow <laughs> oh uh, pete i i feel so much better having uh having quibbled uh having quibbled with you tonight i i oh, good I, I feel like the, the if you want to ruin that go pick up paper mario and the origami king beat it and then play it for two more weeks <laughs> I did, you know, I played the I played the Mario game that they released for the iPhone, and I I did go through and like collect all the uh, the pink coins, all the purple coins, yeah, and nice, right? all the nefariously difficult black coins, um, and then uh, in all the in all the normal worlds, and then in the the you know uh, weird world that they that they added afterwards. So yeah, I, I definitely I understand that. I understand that sort of um I understand that sort of completism. Uh though these uh these days I'm mostly mostly watching videos of people solving sudoku on uh on YouTube because they give me faith in an orderly world. Uh a faith that is now complete now that you and I have banished from the universe the only small problems that uh <laughs> that our uh, our society, our nation, our world had. Um, during this time. So, Pete, thank you for that great service that, that you have helped me to perform tonight. Thank you, Matthew. Now we are all perfect. Yeah, no, and uh, no one more perfect than the Lakers of Los Angeles, the land of lakes, uh, where, uh, you know... Where they make butter. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Pete, thanks very much for podcasting with me. Uh, we'll be back. If you, have, if you have your own quibbles and small... I, I really, you know, I really mean quibbles. Small Small, small issues, small nits to pick with, uh, you know, unimportant things. I really would love um, to know about them. I would love, to, you know, like a obsessionally detailed uh, comments on the show notes for this episode. If you would like to to join in on Quibblecast 2020. Um, thanks again for listening. We'll be back with more Overthinking It podcast uh, till till next week. Uh, if if we do come back, maybe maybe we won't, and you'll you'll feel um if, as- if we don't if we don't come back we're on the masked singer <laughs> guaranteed <laughs> uh spoilers yeah. for the masked singer it's us all the time every episode ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, whether or not we come back we will always be subjecting the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. 
Okay, so one last thing. One last thing. All right. I want a a little moment from parenting to reinforce some of the things we've talked about before. The urge to narrativize things that are not happening for narrativalizable reasons, Uh right? So, so on, we have a changing table on our son's dresser, right? It's sort of a, it's sort of a top of the dresser that serves as a changing table. It's shaped like half pipe so that if he attempts to roll off either way, it will foil him. Uh, and, and, and next to the changing table, is a holder of diapers and ointments uh, and cloths and various uh, wipes and, and other sorts of accoutrements associated with wiping feces off of a human being. And uh, and our son is very long. He is, he's very tall uh, for his age in particular. Um, he's a big old head, uh, but he's, he's very tall. And so he doesn't really quite fit in things that are supposed to happen for his age. And so since he was about three months old, um, he's been – and he loves to kick his legs, right? He loves to kick his legs. And uh, and so uh, we put him on the changing table. It's like he's trying to kick out of a pro wrestling pin like all the time. He just gets a real a real gas out of, out of doing that. Um, and uh, and he's been doing it constantly. And 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 the changing table, he will often kick the uh, diaper holder. Right. Which is plastic and has a kind of plastic rim that looks like it would be pretty painful to kick. Uh, especially if you were to kind of axe kick your heel down on it. I know this is a long after credits, but this is why I didn't put it in the show. But you, you bring your heel down on this plastic. And you would think that it would hurt, but he just, you know, joyfully progresses along with his life. And he, you know, he hits the thing with his foot. And and for whatever reason, it doesn't really seem to bother him. And so there's this narrative that creeps in, which is that he's on this sort of tragic journey, right? That he has, like, endeavored upon this thing. And we told him not to do it. Uh, he doesn't speak English. Uh, we told him not to do it, right? Uh, we said, don't, you know, you should stop kicking the plastic thing. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, and he, and he kicks a bunch of times. Um, well, today it finally happened. Today a little over five months in, that he kicked the plastic thing hard enough that he hurt his foot and he started crying. And any notion that this is some sort of comeuppance, right, or that this was like this is sort of due to him, right, or that like that like he should have listened, right, or that like if he only had decided earlier that he wasn't going to kick this plastic thing that was going to inevitably hurt him, none of this would have happened, uh, is both – entirely baseless and utterly unavoidable, right? Like, like I cannot help but blame him for this thing that can't possibly be his fault. And this is such a struggle in doing all this stuff, uh, it, which is just this idea that you're, you are, you are in such a senseless situation sometimes and you're so exhausted, uh, and you're so baffled and, and you, and you really want to put some sort of pattern on everything that's happening to have it all make sense that it is really hard not to ascribe to babies motivations that are entirely beyond them um and you really have to i think not do that or at least like do it recognize you're doing it and laugh about it because it's stupid um but but yeah um so yeah so if there's one if there's one quibble i have it's uh it's when people on twitter say they're exhausted because i am exhausted all the time and it is stupid and regrettable and pointless and my thinking is not good <laughs> so if you want me to think that what you're saying isn't the narrativization of the senselessness of a baby kicking himself. Ah, so it was about Trump after all. <laughs> ba, 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 da, ba.